know, almost. All right, we are live. I'm going to let Brother Phil know. He uh, he has a fever, and so I'm going to. Go ahead and text any questions, comments, or anything that you might have uh, while we're live here, period. Of course, he probably should have heard that anyways if he's watching. So I will leave my phone up here. I just don't know if it'll pop up. What I need to do, no, I, I need to keep my watch on, but what I need to do is just watch if he, if he says something. Um, it should just pop up on the screen. So, all right. So here we are. <clears throat> chapter nine. And as I said, I believe we only have three weeks left. We'll do chapter nine today, chapter 10 next week, and chapters 11 through 13 uh, the following week. Lord willing, uh, that will be the plan. Uh, if anything changes on that, I'll let people know. Um, so tonight we are talking about instruments of Praise. I still feel like there's a little bit of a ring here in the, in the, uh, here we go. Amen. Um, <clears throat> still feel like there's a little bit of ring in the mic, but I'm actually going to mute my watch. Uh, and uh, that way it doesn't ding for every little thing. So quick recap. Remember the introduction was having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of righteousness, but rather Reprove them. <clears throat> study number one there, chapter one, was why study music in the life of the Christian. Chapter two was new life, new music. Chapter three, rock music, right or wrong. Chapter four, music makes its mark. Uh, chapter five, order in music offers harmony in life. Chapter six was uh, music builds and music destroys. And then chapter seven, or last week, um, Music, or no, that wasn't last week. Music music sets the mood. Chapter 8 was unto the Lord. And now uh, chapter 9, which chapter 8 really is probably the closest chapter to our, our textbook, uh, uh, the Lord's Song. And so that's, that is, um, come on now, there we go. Uh, that is the, uh, <clears throat> that is the, uh, that was last week, and now this week we're looking at instruments of praise. Our verse this week is uh, Psalm 104, verses 33 and 34, which say, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing un I will sing praise. Uh, um, sorry, let me just start over. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. So we're going to look here at instruments of praise. Uh, the Bible says in Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast made all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So question, can we bring glory, honor, and pleasure to God by singing music to Him, which the world uses to feed the flesh? Can we bring glory, honor, and pleasure to God by singing music to Him, which the world uses to feed the flesh? No, it's, it's uh, uh, on the contrary. 
We are his instruments of praise made in the image of God. Okay? And uh, we are musical creatures. Uh, as a form of therapy, music, this is a music within you, uh, music is extremely effective because we are all innately musical beings. <clears throat> much of the complexity, this is the general uh, theory of tonal music, much of the complexity of music intuition is not learned, uh, but is given by inherent organization of the mind. It's self-determined by the human uh, genetic inheritance. Just going to pull that up there. Uh, there we go. So in short, that is how God created us. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of some passages, but I believe that we're going to touch on those as we go through here. Mm. Well, you know, as people say, that's an interesting rabbit trail, but uh, I'll, I'll address. So as people say sometimes, you know, about all kinds of sin, I was born that way. I was genetically predisposed toward that condition. Um, I would say, and, and you, you asked specifically about alcohol because people say, well, you know, is that genetically, you know, people will, will make statements that say, well, my, my parents were alcoholics. And so genetically speaking, I have a possibility or a predisposition to become an alcoholic as well. Um, I believe that this, that that is true in a sense. Um, there, there is, um, there is a, a predisposition of man to sin, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we have a, uh, we have a tendency to sin and we were born that way. We were born sinners, right? We were born in sin and, and, uh, we have a predisposition to do so, right? Um, and that's uh, um, so. So the uh, um, the the point there is that yes, genetically we are predisposed to be what you know. Be, well, we're predisposed to be how God created us initially. However, there's a flaw in our genetic makeup because of sin that was passed down from Adam. And so, yes, there's a predisposition for us to sin. Uh, but even before that, there's, uh, we're, we're musical beings. Um, it, you don't have to really, logically, you don't have to go very far to, to, to recognize that, that we are, that all humans are musical. There's, there's some sort of, I mean, we may not all be, uh, we may not all be professional musical beings, but somewhere uh, along the line, we all have some sort of inclination toward music in some way. And uh, it makes you wonder, um, how's that work? You know, what's, what's, why is it, why is it that way? Um, many animals make a kind of music, uh, but none make organized sound. Only man, the pinnacle of God's creation, made in his image engages in creating organized sound or music. Now, we often will say that about um, 
birds and things. We'll say, oh, this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with that. I'm just kind of elaborating on that statement. Um, we often will say, oh, birds, they sing their songs, you know. Well, they make sounds, but they're not necessarily organized into a orchestration of music. It's really there's they're making a sound and then there's it's more of a communication thing than it is a musical uh uh, you know, something of muse that, that kind of goes back to that concept of where music comes from the word muse having to do with thought and, uh, and, and to, to dwell on something. And so to muse or, uh, to, to bring about music is, uh, has to do with the thinking capacity. The birds aren't thinking about, well, let's put on this beautiful song and all this. They're just making sounds that they are able to make, you know, and there's, Certain now, of course, there's arguments. Of, well, what about parrots and all that? Well, that's that's based on what we teach them, right? <laughs> so, uh, we are natural musicians. Again, like I said, not necessarily professional, but natural natural musicians because of the special nature of the human brain uh, and the phenomena uh, phenomenal molecular system to which it is attached. I said molecular system. It's muscular system. Sorry. Uh, our responsiveness to music, however, like our responsiveness to language, appears to be a different matter depending on the power of synthesis um, of auditory and cognitive skills unique in the animal kingdom. And I would further say that, uh, of course, we're looking at this from the perspective of probably a an evolutionist. I don't believe that man is in the animal kingdom. We're man. So God's creation is musical in general. <clears throat> so the next 16 slides, we're going to see a, a we're going to look at a, 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 a great deal of supportive information to the claim that God's creation is mu musical. Uh, we're going to see that the data suggests that some of the verses uh, which were by some considered to be figurative, are now proven to be literal. Um, let's see here. So we're going to consider that we're going to try to take this slow because there's quite a large amount of magnitude um, in the information. There's there's a large amount of information that's about to be brought about. Um, So if you happen to uh, read, um, if you happen to read the book that this goes along with, not not the book for our class, but the book that this goes along with, um, spiders who produce webs can and must produce visual patterns from sound. It's interesting. If they did not, they'd get stuck in their own webs. Here's how they do it: along the strands of the web of a web are evenly spaced droplets of sticky substance. This allows them to traverse the web. The spacing of the droplets, however, is not done by measurement. Rather, the spider simply coats the entire strand with liquid and then plucks, right? Boom. Uh, vibration arranges the droplets at perfectly equal intervals. Isn't that an interesting thought? You ever watch a spider make its web? It's it's an amazing uh, thing, and you could even find maybe on YouTube you can watch them 
build their web and, and like some some people have taken the time to do long uh, videos uh, to, to show this is here's a spider building his web and, and uh, I usually uh, don't get to enjoy the spider building his web I usually get to enjoy walking into it because I'm tall and most of the webs are usually right in my face, especially on my front porch. I walk up on the front porch and if we've been gone all day and the kids have been, you know, we, we say if we go on a road trip and we go to Chicago or something and then uh, we come back and it's been all day and half the night and we get home and we come in and we open the door and we walk in and we walk. And, and if I happen to be the one first walking in now, AJ's getting tall enough that he's catching some of them for me. But as we walk in, First, we have the trellis, right? Or the, is that a trellis? That's a trellis, I think. The little arbor thing, little archway walking through the, the, the gate there. And it's got, you know, the, the vines that are growing on it. And then it's got sometimes spider webs. And so one of us will inevitably walk right into the spider web and, oh, man. Uh, we're wiping off the spider web, you know, off of our face. And then we open the door and we walk in and boom, there's another spider web. It's like, my goodness, how many spiders? And they have been at work. And so, uh, you know, that, that happens. We, we, we see that happen. But uh, Isaiah 35 uh, verses 1 and 2 and, and uh, um, uh, 49 verse 13 tell us uh, about the uh, heavens, the earth, the desert, the corn, the mountains. They sing. Uh, in fact, let's take a look real quick at that. I, I don't actually, I had, I usually type out all of the verses. I don't know why I didn't have those there. Um, but in Isaiah, um, jump over there to Isaiah chapter number 35 and, uh, <clears throat> verse number verses one and two, it says the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with the joy and singing or with joy and singing and glory. And I'm sorry, the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel uh, and Sharon shall or they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. So we see here that. Many times, you know, people look at these verses and they think, oh, that's, that's symbolic, that's, that's a metaphor, that's not meant to be uh, looked at as, as, a, uh, as, as literal, but we're going to find that it absolutely is literal. Uh, chapter, 49 and, uh, yeah, chapter 49 and verse number 13, if you turn over there, <clears throat> It says, uh, sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Interesting. The heavens, the earth, the desert, the corn, the mountains, um, the flocks and corn sing, right? Uh, Psalm chapter 65. I apologize for not having this typed out. I I uh, thought I went through and made sure that I had all the verses typed out, but I guess not. Um, verse number 13 of Psalm 65, it says, The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy 
they also sing. Hmm. Again, as we as we said, as I mentioned already, that um, that you know only human beings actually make music per se, like organized music. We still recognize that God's creation is musical. Okay, so uh, you know we're the only ones that kind of like interpret that and put it to use as a common regular thing. Now, then again, maybe we see a lot more music coming from God through his creation. Um, I don't think that all of this happens like in and of itself. I think it's all part of God's cre creation being musical. Uh, the fowls sing, right? Uh, Psalm 104, verse number 12 says, uh, By them shall the fowls of the heaven uh, have their habitation, uh, which sing among the branches. Then we also know that the stars sing. Now, this one, uh, sometimes people argue over what's being talked about here. Uh, in the book of Job, chapter 38, um, <clears throat> and verse number seven, it says, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Some will say that the morning stars there are angels. Um, I say that the sons of God there are angels. Yet, um, could be argued that both are, um, I don't know that it's necessarily necessary, necessarily necessary to absolutely say one way or the other, if that makes sense. Uh, the stars singing, we just, we recognize that God's creation is musical. Uh, Isaiah 44 verse 23 says that the heavens sing, right? Uh, we, we already touched on uh, the heavens singing there, so we won't go to that now. In Isaiah 14 and verse number seven, it says the whole earth is at rest and is quiet, they break forth into singing, right? That's the whole earth breaks forth into singing. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that an interesting thing? The whole earth breaks forth into singing. And yeah, absolutely. This, this absolutely makes me want to run to the book of Revelation and see, actually, I'm going to read. I think this is fitting in the book of Revelation. Uh, if I can remember exactly where it is, this isn't technically part of the class, just an extra little tidbit here. Um, so <clears throat> it says um, in verse number 11 of chapter five, and I, and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And it says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and, which, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Whoa. Think about that. Before we read on, think about that. Every creature, every single creature. It says, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Wow, that's amazing. 
that this is going to happen. This is going to happen after the rapture, before the opening of the seals. This is what's going to, this is, this is amazing that we're going to find the angels in heaven and the elders and the beasts around the throne. They're all going to say, you know, that talking about the lamb, talking about, um, uh, talking about the Lord, after they sing a new song, they're going to say that, you know, Jesus, uh, the Lamb, the King of Kings, and so on. They're, they're going to talk about how He is worthy and what He's done. And then it says that, uh, that those that are right around the throne, they're going, to, um, they're going to say that He is worthy. And then, and, and they're going to say all these things, and then it's going to echo not just echo off the walls of heaven, but it's going to echo in the sense, sorry, I'm just, I need to mute something here. It's going to echo in the sense that, um, didn't work. It's going to echo in the sense that, uh, not that it's going to bounce off the walls, but it's going to be said by some that are close around the throne, and then it's going to be said by all that are right there nearby. And then it's going to echo a third time by every single creature everywhere in all of creation. Can you imagine that day? Uh, you know, people are just carrying on like nothing's different. You know, the, the, the carpenter's got his hammer and he's, he's nailing in a nail. And the next thing you know, he stops for a second and he says, Blessing! And honor. He says, let's see here. And he just he just stops and he says, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Now, could you imagine? Just blessing and honor and power and, and going on and then. <laughs> or maybe he stops and thinks, what just happened? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And then the dog that's standing over there, you know, he's, and then he comes up and he says, blessing and honor. Everything repeats it back. Every creature repeats it back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's, if they're all speaking, you know, King James English or, or what, you know, it, it may be that it's in every different language and every different, you know, every tongue and so on. And so, uh, that's a pretty amazing thing. Now that's not in here, but I just it just reminds me of that, right? They're singing a song, and the, the praise is echoed by every creature in all of creation. I mean, it went as far as to say in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and in the sea. That pretty much includes everything, even hell. So everybody's in hell, and all this, you know they're all crying out for torment, and then they all pause for a second. And they say blessing and honor and glory and power and so on. Yeah, it's like, and then they go back to their suffering and, and wailing and agony. Um, that's amazing. So modern technology has allowed some fascinating truths to be discovered in the realm of music. The following information comes from uh, the word is sound by... Uh, Let's see here. By uh, actually, I'm supposed to read this after the fact, but um, let's see here. By Ernst Bernick. Hmm? 
that, that'd be a fun study to find out where, how we figured out how to put together all the different musical instruments. Yeah. Yeah. I think it probably came from maybe some information from God that he gave us. Yeah. From the beginning. Yeah. Um, this is the book is written by a new age uh, proponent who would believe that all, uh, all this came about through evolution for the believer. It includes some real, uh, some relevant scientific data, which when viewed from the, uh, from the creation perspective makes perfect sense. But we're going to look first here at Einstein's violin. That is a note here from the book, Einstein's violin. Basically each planet <clears throat> creates vibrations sound waves caused by uh caused by the path of its traveling through space sorry i'm just checking to see uh if brother if brother um phil is commenting or something so um let's let's start over with that basically each planet creates vibrations sound waves caused by the path of its traveling through space isn't that an interesting thought Therefore, each planet produces music that stems directly from the uh, from the speed of its or of its motion in orbit. Reminds me of uh, the music of the spheres. Does that make sense? I, I I'm trying to remember the song. This is my father's world. Right. Um, Maybe I'm thinking of a different song, but uh, uh, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings the music of the spheres. Oh. Right? Makes you think of that. The music of the spheres. What spheres? The planets, right? <clears throat> the stars sing and the planets too. String physics. Imagine strings. Here's some pictures of stuff like strings, right? Well, something about strings here. We have fundamental frequency or first harmonic, right? So we have just this one, you take one string and you go, bow, right? And it just, that's what it does. You maybe take two strings, right? And you have, you have them at a little bit of a different, you know, now, we're assuming that they're the same size and all that. So, you know, that's the, the concept there. You have first harmonic, second harmonic, third harmonic. Um, and uh, harmonics are the over, overtone series, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Overtone series. Now we're gonna look here, the world is sound. Uh, by this person here. And, and the comment about this quote was what I read before we read Einstein's uh, violin. So I should have had it on this slide, but it was on that slide. So I apologize for that. <clears throat> it has become possible to make, quote, the song of the planets, end quote, audible. The sound spectrum of the six visible planets, including Earth, covers eight octaves, almost identical with the, uh, 
human hearing range. Isn't that interesting? Further, they go on to say, the law of constant and multiple proportions known from chemistry can be understood as a giant catalog of harmonical proportions. These numbers, when transposed to interval proportions, produce only the exclusively, or only and exclusively the most consonant intervals. Octave, which is eight, fifth, fourth, major, sixth, and major third. You see, these are all musical terms, but they're relating to science and the sound of the world. Um, uh, physically, not the sound of the world. You know, we've talked about over and over again, the sound of the world, right? The sound of the world, like worldly music and things like that. But now we're talking about not worldly music, but music from the planets, not music from, you know, we're, we're talking about the sounds of the planets, not the sounds of the world, as in the unsaved heathen. Makes sense. So here is truly overwhelming evidence for the harmonic as well as harmonious sounding musical structure of the world. I would say the universe is what he's. Um, so <clears throat> the following quotation comes from an article, Three Planets Found Outside the Solar System, written by Tim Friend in USA Today. He explains that a pulsar is an ancient collapsed star that gives off, um, sorry, I'm just making sure I'm not reading the same thing that's written up there, but um, so it, it gives off X-rays and gamma radiation because pulsars emit radio signals. They are detectable with a radio telescope. He continues to reveal that pulsars behave like, and this is the part here, celestial lighthouses. But instead of emitting beacons of light, they emit sweeping beacons of radio waves. These beacons can be studied because as the signal spins around into view, it beats a rhythm with greater precision than the ticks of an atomic clock. Isn't that amazing? Our God is truly a God of order. Isn't that interesting? That even more precise than the ticks on an atomic or of an atomic clock, these pulses of radio waves. The third ear says almost everything in the micro and or I'm sorry, in the macro and microcosmos and in our terrestrial world obeys the laws of harmonics. Pretty amazing, really. When you really think about what, what they're saying here, it's like, wow, that's amazing. So first of all, how did God create the world? Let's, let's really discuss this biblically, from a biblical perspective. How did God create the world? Genesis chapter 1. He said, oh, I gave it up. And God said, 
right? And God said, right? Every Everything that's made, we see, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. God created the world through sound. That's an amazing thing to just sit and ponder about. That all of creation was made from sound. God said. He spoke, and it was. God said. The the very vibrations of his voice caused it to be so. You see, we, we often think, you know, we say, oh, you know, God said this is, you know, God said, let there be, and and uh, and then he made it. Well, no, we, we have him say, let us make man in our own image, and then it talks about, you know, he, he made it, made us, but, with, you know, out of the dust of the ground and all that. But all the other stuff he said, he just said, and it was. He spoke, and it was. So let the earth bring forth the living creature. Let the waters bring forth the living creature, the, the, the fish, and great whales, and all of those things. He said that, and it happened. He said, let the earth bring forth grass, and it did. He said, uh, you know, um, well, we can go all the way back there. In fact, it's exactly right. You think about that. Do we ever? We never even really think about that when we're talking about the creation, uh, the, the creation week. But we see here that the very first thing when God, after God created the heaven and the earth, He said, "Let there be light," and there was light. How does that work? I have no idea. <laughs> but His voice spoke, and it was so. Um, there's a very interesting scientific thought about that you could really really kind of begin to try to just dig in and understand maybe maybe try to figure out how uh vibration sound waves might have caused molecular vibration and um and and the the actual ordering of of material that he had already created to come together in the form of photons and now there's light and then he you know divides the light from the darkness and then he said let the firmament let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters and it says god made this but he said it and it was so it's like, it's like the voice of God comes out and separates it. Then we see the, the next thing. It says, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so as, those, as though the vibrations of the voice of God caused the water to ripple off of the, of the dry land and, the, and to be gathered into seas and into the, uh, you know, in, into the, the, what are now what we call the oceans and gathered together and letting the dry land appear. It's as though the, the vibrations from the voice of God saying, let this happen just 
made it happen. And then he says, let the earth bring forth grass. Where'd the seed come from? The earth. The earth, that's where it came from. Let the earth bring forth grass. He said it what he said it and it happened. Up it came. It was as though it was as though the the uh, and I this would be a, an amazing scientific uh, um, study to make, and that is the very elements or the very atomic structure of grass and seeds and things to find. I believe that I, I could probably say I can I, I believe I can say by faith that if one were to try to study what makes up grass, they would find that all of the materials are in the ground without the seed. That all the materials are there molecularly or atomically. They just have to be ordered into the right elements to produce the actual grass. That's exactly right. Yeah, it draws it draws the nutrition that's needed, or the nutrients that are needed to actually produce the plant. God put all that stuff together, right? He well, here's what he did. He said, he said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb yielding seed after his kind, and the fruit and the uh, the tree yielding fruit, uh, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Amazing, He said, and it happened. All the materials just kind of rattled together from the ground and started to sprout up from the voice of God. I believe that that's. I mean, maybe I'm looking at this way too particularly, but it sounds to me as though the vibrations from the voice of God caused the materials to rattle together to become what they needed to be in order to then sprout out and happen instantly because of the power of his voice. Then we see in day four, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And then he threw a bomb in the sky and there's the sun. No, it says, and it was so. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Yeah, but it just happened. He said it, and there it was. I believe that all of the material, all the matter was there. He spoke it into organization to become the sun and the moon. And then it says he made the stars also. And I believe that he made them probably by the same way that he made the sun and the moon. Let there be stars. 
Maybe he got specific, or maybe he didn't. Maybe he just spoke it, and when he spoke it, the vibrations were specific enough for it all to be what it is. Pretty amazing. Now, maybe I'm getting a little extreme or something, but I don't think so. Day five. God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, the fowl that may fly above the heaven, I'm, I'm sorry, above the earth, in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and the living and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly. Why did the waters bring them forth abundantly? Because God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. And it happened. Amazing. How did that work? I have no idea. <laughs> but it seems to me like the vibrations from the voice of God caused the matter that happened to be in the seas to rattle together to be the creatures. He spoke it. He didn't just think and it was. He spoke and it was. There was sound that came out. Um, then he, he tells them, hey, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters, and let the fly multiply, or um, the fowl multiply, and fill the earth, or, or and multiply in the earth. Then day six, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. He said, let this happen. And every land animal just sprouted out of the ground. <laughs> Up they came. Dinosaurs, giraffes, zebras, elephants, cows, pigs, oxen, uh, sheep. Goats, chickens, well, I think chickens are fowls, but anyways, all of that just popping out of the ground. Boom, boom. There it goes, you know. Amazing. How in the world did that happen? God said, and it was. Then, even with man, he said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let him have dominion. And then it says in verse number 27, so God created man in his own image. And then in verse number 28, um, he uh, told them what to do, right? To take dominion, be fruitful, multiply, and all that. Um, we find that God made man. And I see here, it appears to me that this is probably... Um, he, he didn't tell the earth to bring forth man. He didn't or he didn't say, let the earth bring forth. He didn't say, let the waters bring forth. He said, let us make man. It's talking about the Trinity, right? Says, let us make man in our own image after the, and, and uh, in the image of God created he, him, as it says there. But it says that he, if you look at the next chapter, it talks about how he made Man, it says in verse number eight, uh, well, after he planted the garden in verse number eight, uh, he put the man there. But then it says, uh, well, let's see here. Let's back up a little bit. So he makes all this stuff. It's just reviewing the whole thing. And it says, 
uh, and the Lord, verse number seven, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That to me sounds like he took his hands and reached down to the dust of the ground and made us just like a potter would make something out of clay. Made us. Now, did he use water? I think so, because we have a lot of water in us. But he grabbed a handful of dust and there's Adam. <laughs> and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. It's amazing, though, that everything else, he spoke and it was. Of course, he had an intimate hands-on, I believe, uh, uh, aspect of creating us. But where do we get this idea that the, that the, the world, the creation, all of the... the all of the uh, aspects of our universe, everything was created through sound. Psalm 33, verse number 6 says that, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Wow. Verse number 9 of the same chapter, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. In Hebrews 11 we understand, right? By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? The very Word, spoken Word of God. And we wonder sometimes when we, when we read God's Word, if there's some, I, I don't say that we wonder, but oftentimes we doubt whether or not there's power in the Word of God. If God's word can, can uh, I'm just I'm going to say can four times, right? If God's word can create everything, can it not convict a soul? Right? His word spoken off the off the tips of our tongues. It's an amazing thing. God's word is very powerful. Uh, it's it's uh, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 where it says uh, the word of God is quick, means it's alive, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The word of God does that. That's amazing that the word of God, when preached, it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. Think about that, that the Word of God, it's as though the harmonic vibrations of God's Word pierces physically down into us and touches our heart and, and, and separates the, the thoughts and intents of our heart and, and divides asunder soul and spirit. And, and it, it, it's, it deals with us on a, in, a, in a manner in which we really don't fully understand. <clears throat> yeah. So, if this is how sound behaves and how music is analyzed... <clears throat> Here, the, the overtone series, harmonics. Then all of creation includes 
possesses and exhibits characteristics of music. The scientist calls the above mentioned string physics to the musician. It represents the very foundation for the study of music theory. It is called harmonics or the overtone series. We must understand that man did not originate this miracle. We didn't come up with this. <clears throat> he simply discovered the characteristics of sound behavior. That is the behavior of sound. And this small example allows us to see that God is not only the originator of music, he himself is musical. I would say that both are the same. It originates with God. And so therefore it is genetically in us and we discovered it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but God himself is musical. He sings, he blows the trumpet, uh, demonstrating that music is a part of his divine eternal being. Our music has developed from the attributes which he has created in sound here on earth. Um, the book, the music, or I'm sorry, the language of music by Derek Cook, um, he says, our investigation is confined to the harmonic period of musical history. And whence does this harmonic or harmony itself derive from the natural phenomenon, which we call the harmonic series. This means that in nature itself, a single note sets up a harmony of its own. And this harmonic series has been the unconscious basis of Western European harmony and the tonal system. So I, I don't happen to have a rubber band handy, but we could use a rubber band to demonstrate the, uh, the physics or string, string physics, uh, the harmonic uh, harmonics or the overtone series, uh, we could do that by varying the tension and plucking in different, you know, changing pitches and stuff. You don't happen to have a rubber band there. Yeah. Yeah. You could take anything elastic and, and demonstrate. I, I forgot to bring a rubber band. So, um, so that that's, if you just imagine if you take an, a rubber band and you, you, have it just so and you twang on it right it's going to vibrate if you pull it tighter see if you if it's looser it's probably going to do something like this right you pull it a little tighter it's going to do something like that you pull it real tight it's going to do something like that right or if you start out real tight and then you loosen it it'll go from top to bottom <clears throat> so the language of music here we just, I just quoted this, but we'll, re, we'll, we'll state it once again. Uh, and whence does the harmony itself derive from the natural phenomenon, which we call the harmonic series? So God's creation is musical, and God's creation makes music. Why? It's, it's from him, as we've already said, because God himself is musical, right? Right, Zechariah 
9.14, and the Lord shall blow the trumpet. In uh, Zephaniah 3.17, it says, He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. Just making sure we're not missing uh, Brother Phil there. He will joy over thee with singing. The music of DNA. Now that's an interesting consideration, isn't it? The, the music of DNA, the building blocks of life. Uh, it says here the infrared frequencies of DNA bases. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, first, we must recognize that sound and music as we know it is probably markedly different from sound and music in heaven, since everything on this earth is imperfect. Right? However, we must also recognize that many of these imperfect things are just incomplete examples of things which exist in perfect form in heaven. We will all be able to do much better than just carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> there are about three billion base pairs in the DNA of each human cell. Yet each of these bases remains absolutely consistent in its chemical makeup. The process of collecting frequencies from the bases of DNA begins with a spectrum, uh, sorry, spectrophotometer, a device about the size of a bread box. It's going to continue on. The problem of getting the frequencies within hearing range can be solved by recognizing that any hertz number divided in half or doubled will produce its corresponding lower or upper octave, <clears throat> respectively. Whether it be sound or light, an octave in light is the same ratio as an octave in sound, 2 to 1. A perfect fifth, or a relationship of 3 to 1, I'm sorry, 3 to 2, sorry, <clears throat> is the same proportion as in light as in sound and can be continued uh, into the world of geometry, architecture, movements uh, of the planets, and so forth. Anywhere, or yeah, anywhere where there is a, a periodic, periodic or regular vibration. That is a lot to take in, but that's that's an amazing thought here. In other words, the sound, as we know, that the sound of the sound that would be in um, uh, the sound frequencies that would be in our DNA would be so small, or the frequencies would be so so far out of our hearing range, we would have to just raise the hertz level in order to understand, or in order to hear it, to get it into our range, right? Um, but it can be done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's in, in terms of that, you know, the, the human ear, you know, the, the range of our hearing is is limited. There are frequencies above our range 
and there are frequencies below our range. And so imagine if we could listen to the song of our, that's interesting, the song of our souls. Now imagine if we could enter, if we, if we could listen to the song of our DNA, what would it say? <laughs> would we understand it? Probably not. But amazingly, there's a sound there. In every single cell in our body, there are lots and lots of cells in our body. I want to say, that, I, want to say I heard something about trillions or so cells in our body. Uh, it continues some more here. Um, <clears throat> by discovering patterns of ratios in light, we are simply translating into, uh, into a sound medium to hear what information they might contain and how they relate to each other. It could also be argued that both light and sound refer back to a common archetype, which is, or which as yet is unknown to us, not unlike cousins who relate back to a common relative. Does that make sense? So an archetype here we'll mention. What is an archetype? It is a, it is the original pattern or model of work or the model from which all things of the same kind are made. Something that is unknown to us, but we know who he is, right? Or rather, it, it's, it's not unknown to us, but she thought it was, right? This, the, the writer here said that it was unknown to us as yet. The archetype or the, the, the relative where it comes together and it's common, you know, the, the model from which all things are made is not unknown to us, right? Because we know him. He is our creator. Right? It's like a boilerplate or a mold. Makes sense? So, except from the perspective of sound and light. A boilerplate, right? We, it's interesting that you, you can look at what's what's really interesting is as we find in other studies, as well as in this uh, in other studies of the uh, throughout this course, we've talked about how God is our song, how He is our song. He Himself is our song. Well, we know also that in First John the Bible says that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. It's interesting. It says that God is light. And remember, as we just talked about in this, in this last slide here, she stated that by discovering patterns of ratios in light, we are simply translating into a sound, the medium, to hear what information they might contain and how they relate to each other. Now, hold on, let's go back another slide and, and notice that she's saying here that an octave in light is the same ratio as an octave in sound. Interesting. Just catching what's going on here, that he is light and he is our song. How does all that work? Because it's interchangeable in a sense. It's just a different way of us perceiving it, right? We perceive him. Currently, we don't perceive him by sight. 
but he is light. We also don't perceive him by sound yet, although sometimes we, uh, we, we, we do see examples in the Bible of being, him being perceived by sound. But interesting how our senses, we differentiate between what we see, which is uh, now there have been arguments as to whether photons are, uh, are particles or whether or not in some cases they may be waves. Uh, but when it comes down to translating the light versus sound, we're looking at waves. We're looking at frequency. Um, and so, again, it's interesting that we perceive things by light entering into our eyeballs and then being translated into our brains to tell us what we're seeing, right? But we can also perceive what is here by sound. That's why there's some, you know, how bats do, right? They just scream all the time. <laughs> they make noise, right? And that noise bounces off of things. And they can see or build a map in their brain of what is there. They see it all without seeing it. Um, same thing with, with uh, some blind people. You ever, you ever seen, uh, there's this kid, he, he would ride a bike. Riding a bike, he's blind, riding a bike. How does a blind kid ride a bike? Echolocation, he's clicking with his tongue. And he's hearing the sound bounce off of things around him. And based on the sound bouncing off of things, his brain builds a map of what's around him. And so he is seeing it through sound. Yeah. Bats do have limited sight, but. <clears throat> but anyways. Yeah. We're going to have a, uh, a sample here again, but. Thy statutes have been my songs. In the house of my pilgrimage. Words for praise. Or. Words to please. Okay. So. The inappropriate. We're going to. We're going to look here. We're going to listen here to. Uh, um, Amy Grant and Brown Van Bannister. There will never be another. Inappropriate intimacy, which is projected in the music and mannerisms of today's uh, quote-unquote Christian performers, is also evident in and reinforced by many of the lyrics in contemporary sacred songs. Frequently, it is difficult for the listener to tell whether the song is intended to describe a relationship with a lover, friend, or spouse, or with the Lord. Classic example of this kind of song, here as we're going to play, there will never be another. It says, listen to how the words could easily describe several relationships. It says, there will never be another who will love me like you. There will never be another 
who could hold uh, who could hold me these lyrics a notable contrast to thy statutes have been my songs here's our sample there will why that song could be played on both a quote-unquote Christian station and a secular station. It could be a love song between two individuals. Or it could be, could be talking about lots of relationships. It could be talking about a, a, a relationship between yourself and God. It could be talking about a relationship with, between yourself and another person. Uh, whether that be a friend, a lover, a spouse, or the Lord himself. Kind of some confusion there, right? The vehicle for praise. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. The verbiage for praise. What does he tell us? He says, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. I did not type that out either. Isaiah 12, 2 through 5. We'll just read the whole chapter. It's real easy. And in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Therefore, to, with joy... Shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation? And in the day, in that day, shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. The vehicle and verbiage for praise. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. And I, I did have it typed out, Psalm, or, uh, Isaiah 12, on the next slide, this slide, instead of the last slide. Just put it in the wrong place. The verbiage, verbiage for, I'm sorry, the vehicle and the verbiage for praise is singing, thanksgiving, his name, 
his deeds, his work, his wondrous works, his righteousness. And I've got this sample here, but I don't think it's going to play. No, that was a sample that I had as, as an example of something good, but I didn't, uh, didn't provide it. So CCM, June 2005. This is Amy Grant, the Amy issue. This particular performer's views make the answer clear. This same CCM singer suggests the following during an interview in Family Circle entitled The Madonna of Gospel Rock. Wow. <laughs> the, she's the Madonna of Gospel Rock. Uh, good question. Could be either one. During the last year or so, her music has changed. Many references to God in her songs have been, this is the, the article here. Many references to God in her songs have been replaced with subjects like falling in love and relations and, and friendships. Uh, I've become disillusioned and that's why my lyrics are less idealistic, she says. I'm realizing that the world isn't a perfect place and God can't solve everyone's problems. Wow. Yeah. My God can solve everyone's problems if they'll let him. In an Arizona newspaper interview, she gives a further indication of the purpose. Just making sure I'm not missing Brother Phil here. Um, <clears throat> for her music and her personal philosophy. So she, she gives a further indication of, of the purpose of, of her, for her music and the, uh, her personal philosophy. She says, I am a singer. I'm a singer, not a preacher. She said, I'm not looking to convert anybody. I feel people come to hear my music, not hear me talk. I love to dance, but there are people who listen to my music who are uncomfortable with dancing. She said, I have, I have to think about them. I'm not going to say too often that I like a cold beer while watching a football game. That might bother some of my fans too. I'm trying to reach so many people that expressing certain personal opinions can be a barrier. Hmm. By the way, there are lots and lots of other quotes in the in the book, um, uh, music in the balance. That's that's uh, the the book here um, that we're actually somewhat reviewing in our in our study is is called music in the balance, and that's also the name of the the, the uh, slideshow presentation. So why would we continue to support this type of wickedness? Why would why would people who Claim to be Christians support this type of wickedness. Well, because of lukewarm lukewarmness, because it results in blindness. Some may say, well, can a child of God be blind or become blind? Is that possible? Peter, is that? They may be able to. Uh, Peter, addressing believers here in Second Peter chapter 1, 
is Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on addressing believers in the next verse and says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. One might say, well, wait a minute. If he lacks these things, does he not have faith? Well, we notice here that he says to add to your faith virtue. So these are all the things that you add to your faith. But if you lack them, all you have is faith. You don't have virtue and knowledge and, uh, and uh, let me find it here. Virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. Those are the things you add to your faith. If you don't have those, you're blind. You cannot see afar off, especially if you continue on that way. It's hard to discern things properly. You blind yourself to certain things. That's why oftentimes people do things that a lot of other people notice. They're like, man, how could a Christian do such a thing? Someone, someone might say, how? However, could a Christian do something like that? Well, because they're blinded to what's being what's what's happening, right? You can be a child of God and be blinded because you're not perfected in each of those areas. That doesn't mean that you lack everything. You know, it, God's going to keep working on you if you're His child. But there are areas in our lives that we're blind to, right? Oftentimes, like, we'll pick on somebody for doing something or saying something or whatever, and we say, why don't they see it? Why don't they see it? And then you think about it a little bit, and then you think about what's going on in their life, where the, you know, how much spiritual growth they've been able to have, how mature or immature they are, and then you say, okay, it makes sense. That's why they don't see it. They've not learned yet. So they're blind in a sense, right? They haven't learned yet that they need to have brotherly kindness because they're still working on virtue, right? Or they're still working on, they've got virtue down a little bit, and now they're working on, um, what was the next one? Knowledge. They're building their knowledge. And so they don't yet understand these other things. So they're blind in those areas, right? Just like sometimes we'll pick on somebody and then not realize that we're actually guilty 
of sometimes guilty of the same thing, but in a different way. We don't realize it because we're blinded to it because we haven't been exposed to it in our own lives yet. There's a lot of things that we're blind to in our own lives that other people see and we don't. That's why we have church, right? Uh, not so that we can have services and somebody can get up here and preach and all that, but so that we can interact with one another and then notice those things and help one another grow in those areas, right? And so what I can't see, sometimes you can see. Because my vision is only pretty much from here to here. I can't watch my own back unless I carry a mirror around. And then if I'm looking at the mirror, I'm not looking at what's in front of me. So I've got to count on other people to watch my back, right? Um, but in this particular area, in this particular concept of music and things, Christians blind themselves because of, of, there's a couple of reasons. One, they haven't learned charity is one reason. They haven't learned what it truly means to put on or add to your faith virtue. They think that if it pleases me, it's okay. Or if I can justify it in my own mind, it's okay. But in reality, they're blind to the facts that we've brought out in our study here. And this has been a, what are we in our eighth, ninth week, something like that, of this study. And so we've, we've spent probably 10 to 12 hours discussing these topics. And now to us, it's as clear as day. Most of it is as clear as day. But to those that haven't taken the class, I was with somebody today that was listening to listening to the radio and on headphones, listening to rock music and stuff, and uh, completely blind. They just don't understand. Do I tell them, man? How could you possibly? You can't listen to that stuff. You you must not be saved. No, I believe he's. I believe he's saved. He's, he's got a testimony of salvation. I believe he's saved. But he's blind in that area. He just doesn't understand. He doesn't know the facts yet. He's not added to his faith, virtue, and to virtue knowledge. He hasn't added the knowledge here of the issue at hand. And because of that, he's blind in that area. <clears throat> blind here, it says not without sight completely, right? It's not saying that, you know, like Jesus said, the blind leading the blind. It's not, he's not talking about we're completely, you know, completely, totally without sight, but we can't see it far off. All we're seeing is what's right in front of our faces, right? So it's not without sight, but rather without clear vision, literally surrounded by smoke, right? Because it says he cannot see it far off, right? The, uh, the, the believer there is unable to see down the road, right? This, by the way, this thought here is an awesome thought because it helps a lot of things to make sense. We really have to stop and think and, and consider 
It's very interesting. A lot of things make sense when you start thinking about this. When we think, why is it that so many people only look at what's right in front of them and they, they make all their decisions or make a lot of their decisions based on what they see right here, but they don't pay attention to what, what's going to happen because of it way down the road. It's because they haven't exercised this, adding to their faith, virtue and to virtue, knowledge and to knowledge, temperance and to temperance and so on and so on. They haven't exercised that in their lives. And so because of that, situations come up, opportunities come up, they're faced with decisions and they make decisions based on what's right in front of them because that's all they can see. They can't see far off. All they can see is right here. And they make those decisions forgetting that they've been purged from their old sins and they've got a long future ahead of them. And everything that they ought to be doing ought to be not inside of right here, but inside of eternity. Out there where we can't reach right yet. But the, the deeds that we do can reach there. Right. They can't see the big picture. They can't see the they can't see down the way very far. You see, the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet, right? It deals with the problems at hand, but it's also a light unto our path. And we can see down, down the way if we'll just apply it to our lives, if we'll add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and uh, to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity, right? What's that? Absolutely. Well, discernment comes when we add virtue. Well, virtue, see, here's what's interesting. Virtue is the, uh, the appearance of righteousness, in a sense. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about it here in a little while. Not tonight, but we're going to be in Second Peter after we finish First Peter. Um, so we'll deal with this passage specifically, and we may even have a whole series on the, each of those things that we're to add to our faith. But... As we add those, after we add, um, after we add, let's see here, virtue, we add knowledge. And knowledge, if we don't let it puff us up, and then we add with the knowledge and the virtue, we now add temperance, which is, you know, an internal control by the Spirit of God over our lives, where we don't snap under pressure, we don't. You know, we, we're, we're able to stay uh, focused on, yeah, focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. But the virtue and the knowledge, the faith, virtue, and knowledge enables us to then become temperate. We wonder why people can't control themselves. They're still working on faith, virtue, and knowledge. They have uh, anger problems and things like that. They're still working on faith, virtue, and knowledge. Or maybe they're starting now to work on temperance. Or maybe they're not, maybe they don't have faith to begin with. But some Christians do have anger problems. It does happen. Uh, we don't like to admit it, but we do sometimes. Um, and then again, by the way, it says giving all diligence to add these things. Why? Because it takes work. We also have to recognize that these things are added by our faith in Christ and our faith in his grace to give us the ability to do them. Um, 
I'm spending a lot of time on this concept, but I think it's an important one. In fact, I think this may be the last slide or the second to last. Um, <clears throat> so the very next topic that Peter addresses here in this, in, in, uh, this book, he begins to address the denial, right? He begins to address denial. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily, uh, I'm sorry, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Now this, of course, we know is not talking about Christians, right? False prophets aren't, aren't Christians here. It says, uh, and many, though, it says, shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Wow, think about that. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. There's going to be false teachers, false prophets that are going to come in and false teachers that are going to come in and they're going to bring in damnable heresies and they're going to deny the Lord that bought them. And in other words, they're going to try to, they're, they're going to either deny him wholly or they're going to add to him works, denying that he's sufficient. And they're going to bring upon themselves swift destruction. But it says that many shall follow their pernicious ways. It says by reason of whom the truth or the way of truth, rather, shall be evil spoken of. It's those that follow the pernicious ways of heretics, false prophets and false teachers, that the way of truth is evil spoken of. Yeah. Oh, it, they're always sly and stealthy. Sometimes they're obvious. Once they've gotten a following, they get obvious, and their following follows them because they've been duped into it. But the way of truth will be evil spoken of because of that. Don't we see that happening today? The Bible says, what? Know you not that your, temp or your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? The Christian is his dwelling place and therefore becomes his instrument. Um, this reminds me, and I don't believe that we have it uh, listed here, but this reminds me of Romans chapter 6, where it says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, in verse number 13, unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We yield our members as instruments. We don't uh, actually utilize them as instruments. We yield them to God as instruments. Um, <clears throat> so, furthermore, his flock is now the instrument of God's praise, right? So we are his instruments of praise. Or the church, our, our congregation, is his instrument of praise. I'm just pulling up the, uh, the thing here, the computer, so that when we're done, I can just stop. Yeah. That's absolutely true. 
Um, Isaiah 43, verse 7 and 21. Even everyone that is called by thy name, or by my name, rather, God says. <clears throat> Oops. There we go. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Musical instruments may be used to praise God, and any serious musician will testify that the instrument is an extension of the person playing it. Therefore, it is logical to say that instrumental music reveals the personality of the performer. Famous German violinist uh, Annie Sophie Mutter, uh, considered to be one of the world's top three violinists, attests that the violin is a part of myself, is what she said. As a child of God, <clears throat> sings and plays the praises of the, of the Lord, he must be consciously aware that God dwells within him and he, the believer, and that he, rather, the believer. Sorry, let me reread that. As the child of God sings and plays the praises of the Lord, he must be consciously aware that God dwells within him and that he, the believer, is his instrument of praise. Next week, we're going to discuss the sound becomes the messenger. We're going to look at the contemporary sound. We're going to look at country music or the country sound. We're going to look at uh, powerful but powerless. Um, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the opportunity, uh, Lord, to look at it tonight and to look at the truth of uh, concerning us 